Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Here's a bleak scenario. Most Americans are as unprepared for retirement as the U.S. was for Pearl Harbor in 1941. That's the warning of Roger Allen Friedman, veteran chartered planning counselor and financial industry executive, And you may recall that Roger was a guest on our May 8th show. The good news, the bleak scenario doesn't have to include you, but the time to take control of your own retirement is now. And to help, Roger Friedman has prepared a brand-new special report titled The Beneficiary Minefield, 19 Retirement Account Mistakes You Must Avoid. And regardless of your age today, this special report is a must-read for anyone that with an IRA or other type of retirement account. And if you don't have one now, it's high time to get started, isn't it? And Roger's special report is chock full of information, information you should consider before you retire, not after. Read it, study it, and become educated on what might be the most important topic for a joyful, hassle-free carefree retirement and you can find roger's extremely helpful special report online at rogeronretirement.com slash shop that's r-o-d-g-e-r on retirement.com slash shop check it out today welcome to middle age can be your best age time for a weekly dose of advice for navigating your middle years Our subject today is the brain, that rather important organ that occupies most of the space between our ears. And first we'll talk about remapping the brain to recover from chronic pain and mysterious illnesses that are resistant to cure. And later on in the program we'll discuss prevention and recovery from that most dastardly of brain maladies, Alzheimer's disease. But to launch our first segment, do you or someone you know suffer from chronic pain or illness that make it extremely difficult to function, to hold a job, to raise a family, or to maintain routine day-to-day social contact? As we speak, an estimated 13 million people in the U.S. suffer from chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, I can't pronounce that very well, or acute chemical sensitivities, And millions more battle Lyme disease, chronic pain, food sensitivities, anxiety, and depression. And for any of you who have about given up hope of ever feeling good again, I have some great news. My guest, Annie Hopper, is here to describe a whole new treatment protocol that helped her fully regain her health and reclaim her health and regain her life. And best of all, she did it without drugs. And Annie Hopper, up until 2004, was a highly successful uh, successful emotional wellness counselor, a newspaper columnist, and a frequent, frequent talk show guest. And in 2004, her health suddenly started to deteriorate rapidly from a mysterious illness that the medical community could not diagnose or alleviate. 
and after almost four years of suffering, Annie Hopper invented her own healing approach to rewire chronic illness and pain disease patterns in the brain, and she's here to tell us about this drug-free healing method today, and she's author of the definitive 2014 book, Wired for Healing, Remapping the Brain to Recover from Chronic and Mysterious Illnesses. And hello, Annie, it's indeed a privilege to have you with us here today. And not a moment too soon for anyone who suffers from chronic illness or pain. Oh, thank you so much, Roy. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Well, let's begin with your personal story. In hindsight, what conditions do you think uh, brought on the ravaging uh, condition in 2004 that uh, no professional could resolve? And what uh, drove you into isolation on a rundown houseboat out in the harbor? Oh, that's a really great question, Roy. Um, I think what happened for me is what I call the perfect storm. And what I mean by perfect storm is there were a number of different stressors that were happening all at the same time. And, you know, when we think of stressors, we we typically tend to think of psychological stress, but there are really a lot more forms of stressors. So, you know, psychological stress is one form, but... Uh, something else that was happening uh, at the time was I was actually uh, working in a building that was an old building that had mold in it. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't know about the mold. And I also had rented a counseling office in this very old um, office building. And um, what I also didn't know was that the janitor's supply room was located right next door to my office. So it was actually <laughs> sharing. Share, uh, I know, I know, kind of funny now. But, uh, you know, I was actually sharing a wall with the janitor's supply room. So oh, I was wow. being exposed to all of the yeah. cleaning chemicals that the janitors were using to clean the building. So oh, that was, great. you know, part of the perfect storm. And about, yeah. I guess, a, almost a year before that, I had also been in a car accident where I had oh, a... Wow. Uh, minor neck injury, um, you know, uh, yeah, so there were quite a number of things that were going on all at the same time. So I think that that's really what, what hit me. It was that perfect storm. I was really busy as a, a counselor at the time, which was, you know, I was doing a job that I loved. I was writing yeah. newspaper columns and teaching workshops and involved in my community and doing, you know, musical theater and, you know, just doing all the things that I love. And um, I started coming down with symptoms. It was kind of um, interesting, really vague things that a lot of people probably suffer from. So it started with um, headaches, you know, generalized headaches that I couldn't I couldn't seem to make go away no matter what I did. Um, And I was very, very very knowledgeable about the mind-body connection, about my health, but no matter what I did, the headaches didn't go away. Then I started getting, like, muscle and joint pain, Um, you know, the kind where you try to find a position to sleep at night and you just can't find a comfortable position because something else hurts. And, you you know, you just keep tossing and turning, and then I got insomnia. And um, also what happened is I started to develop sensitivities to scented things in my environment, like, you know, everyday perfumes and colognes or laundry detergent. 
and actually that probably became the most disabling thing for me because my sensitivities grew so much that I couldn't be in the same room with someone who had perfume on wow, or cologne a, on. That's real. Yeah, wow. it was yeah, really debilitating. In fact, um at one point it was so bad, uh you know, and I, and I'll back up for a second. You know, when I started reacting to things, I thought, what the heck is going on? This just doesn't make any sense. But then I started to um investigate what was in the stuff that I was reacting to. And then it kind of made sense that I was getting sick from the stuff because I realized, wow, there are a lot of neurotoxic chemicals in products that we use every day that are not healthy for us. But, yeah, but, you know, we're never going to find that out because... You know, there are big, big brand companies that advertise this, and they've got a lot of money invested in marketing, right? Yeah, that's and, <laughs> yeah, in order to do the testing on any of the chemicals in that pro- in those products, I mean, it's, I, I, think, I think it's like the average woman puts on at least 28 chemicals before she leaves the house or something. Wow. I mean, we would have to, A, be able to investigate what are the different combinations of chemicals and then, you know, study them in um, together in this big chemical soup. So yeah, and there's no way that we would. put a sign on your door, nobody can come in that use and list those 28 chemicals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, it was interesting. So, you know, we don't have the study, you know, we don't have the manpower available to do the research that needs to be done on these chemicals, right? I mean, they're just introduced into our environment. They're assumed safe until proven otherwise. And we know now that there are all kinds of things that were introduced into our environment that we're now finding out aren't really healthy for us. So like eventually EPA you had to move out on a boat out in the harbor where none of that... Uh Exactly. So what, in contact with you. Yes, exactly. So what happened is, you know, the sensitivities became so severe um, that I would start having kind of central nervous system convulsions type of reactions to to even the smallest amount of chemical. So my sense of smell actually changed, and that, that was kind of bizarre. It was kind of, um, you know, I always thought, well, if I could use this for good, that would be great, but it, it didn't feel like I was being used in any way for good with this heightened, heightened sense of smell. Well, I guess um, you'd be the so, first one that would smell smoke from a fire if the, the building caught on Yeah, fire. that's true. So that that's true. Good. That's Yeah, that, that would be good. But, you know, I was it, my, my sense of smell was so acute that I could smell the chemicals from, like, down the street, and I oh, could wow. detect exactly what it was. But not only could I detect what it was, but the actual um, quality of the smell had changed into something really bitter and acrid. Mm-hmm. So something... Instead of something smelling like laundry detergent, what it smelled like to me was poison, and I could even taste it. So it was changing my sense of smell and my sense of taste as well. Yeah, it was pretty bizarre. So I ended up, in the long run, I tried to avoid everything because that's what you do when you become sensitive to things, right? You just avoid everything that makes you sick. Well, you can imagine if you're sensitive to chemicals that are almost in everything, that there's really no place to go. No. So I kept isolating myself and isolate. You know, at first I became kind of homebound, had to not socialize with my friends. I couldn't go to church. I couldn't work anymore. Couldn't do all the things that I loved. And then slowly I kind of had to even withdraw even more because uh, I ended up ha- reacting to my house and things in my house. So to make a long story really short, I ended up living in the almost broken down houseboat in the middle of a, a marina so I could really unplug from everyone. Yeah. 
Um, Will you describe your aha moment as recognition of the powerful link between the limbic section of the brain and the functioning of the body? And to begin with, what are our, is our brain's limbic region or section, and what function does it perform, and what happens if the system goes haywire, which I guess is what was happening to you? Yeah, well, the limbic system is located in the midbrain, and really it's known as the feeling and reacting brain. So it's filtering all kinds of sensory information or emotional information that we have going on, like filtering billions of bits of information at once. And it's really categorizing that information into two distinct categories, safe or unsafe. Now, you can imagine that if these pathways in the brain are altered somehow through trauma, and that's what happens, like many forms of trauma, like, you know, chemical or viral or bacterial or psychological or emotional, can actually change the structure and function of the neural circuits within that system of the brain. Yeah, that triggers, as you call it, uh, fight or flight syndrome. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So that triggers a a chronic fight-or-fight state. And when that happens, then all hell breaks loose because (laughs) now your your brain is sending alarm messages to all systems of your body that there is a potential threat. And, you know, when that part of the brain isn't functioning properly and it's sending all those alarm messages, then it makes us, it changes our sensory perception. So we get things like heightened sense of smell. We get things like chronic pain. We get muscle joint and muscle and joint pain. We get, we develop sensitivities to normal sensory stimuli. So the brain begins sensing threats that aren't really there. That's... That's right. Yeah, threats that aren't there. Yeah, Yeah, and it's interesting because some of the, you know, some of those messages are, you know, the the messages seem correct because your body's responding, right? Your your immune system is responding. Your endocrine system is responding. Um, You know, you have very real physical symptoms that can cause you know, liver detoxification problems. It can cause, um, you know, changes in your respiratory system and in your heart. All kinds of things are actually physically happening. And and part of that message, you know, this is where I talk about the two truths. Part of the message is true. Part of the message, you know, that I actually came to understand for me was, you know, chemicals in our environment are really not healthy. And that was a silver lining for me in all of this. And, you know, I, I did avoid everything that I could. And yet I was still sick. And I went to every doctor doctor that I could imagine, and yet I was still sick. So I thought, well, there's something else happening here besides what everybody else would call toxic overload or, yeah. you know, uh, you know the, that's the general kind of treatment. Take 10 million supplements. Uh, you have toxic overload. We're going to detox your liver. We're going to do all yeah. these things, and then yeah. you'll be better. Yeah. Well, no matter what I did, it didn't help. So I thought, yeah. well, there's something else happening here. So the second truth in that is that when you have some kind of trauma, it's actually affected the brain. So yeah. let's let's. So our focus is really on really focusing on the brain and how to get the brain yeah. out of fight or flight. Because when that the brain's in fight or flight, yeah. Because when the brain is in fight or flight, it will pick up on the smallest amounts of anything and could perceive that as potentially life threatening. Yeah. So we want to turn down the volume on the flight or flight response so that our sensory perception is normalized, so that our immune system can work functionally again, so that our digestive system can work functionally again, and throw, yeah. so all of the systems in the body can work functionally well, that again. that makes a lot of 
of sense to me. As you put it, the limbic system impairment is uh, elusive and often difficult to diagnose by uh, traditional methods, but your book contains an extensive list of questions to help to identify an impairment. Could you give us a small sample of those questions to ask yourself if uh, you think you may be suffering from that? I know you listed a number. Yeah, sure. If you can just hang on one second while I find it. Um, I didn't have it handy, so if you can hang on just one second, I'll go to it. But, it, you know, things like, for sure, you know, are you sensitive to things? Do you, yeah. do you, uh, you know, yeah, uh, are you... The smell was one of them, irritable yeah. sense and uh, anxiety or panic attacks, sleep-related yep. issues. I know you listed mood sensitivities. There's all these questions that uh, are very helpful in the book that uh, might tell you that you might, uh, and, th- and then you tell us that if we answer yes to five or more of these questions, it's likely that uh, you are experiencing limbic system impairment. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's interesting because a lot of people probably have this, but they don't know and their doctors haven't really been able to diagnose it yet. So I'm just going to some of those questions here. Let me see if I can find them. Uh, I'm really sorry about that, Roy. I didn't have it in front of me, so I, I apologize for that. I, sh- I should have had it in front of me. I apologize for that. But uh, it's interesting because I just... Worry a lot, feel depressed, feel ill when in a healthy home, short-term memory problem. You list a whole bunch of uh, questions that you ask yourself and... Uh, I can probably oh, here we go. answer yes here we five go. I, or more I, I, of those myself. So yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, I just talked at the Institute for Functional Medicine in June, and there were 400 doctors in the room. And I was talking about limbic system dysfunction and limbic system trauma and how that happens and how that presents. And then, you know, I showed some video testimonials of people before they took the program that I created and the after. And there was an audible gasp in the crowd because they, they just couldn't even understand that that kind of healing is possible. And the only way that <laughs> no, I can explain that... <laughs> no, that's right. And the only way that I can explain that is that sometimes we just don't have the right entry point, yeah. right? So yeah. this is a brain, it's a brain issue. So when we treat it as a brain issue, the symptoms can actually resolve. So here, I have, I have the list of questions. It says, do you suffer from brain fog or unexplained headaches? Do you suffer from low energy? Do you suffer from chronic joint pain or muscle pain? Do you find yourself constantly body checking for symptoms of pain or discomfort? Do you have a heightened sense of smell or taste? Do you have other heightened sensory perceptions such as light, sound, or electromagnetic sensitivities? Or do perfumes or other chemicals um, like new carpets or paint give you headaches or make you feel nauseous or lightheaded? Do you noticeably get irritable, anxious, or upset when you're around certain scents? Have you had your home, office, or other space renovated recently? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that one for a minute because a lot of people overlook that one. They they buy new homes and everything's new, but what they fail to realize is all of those materials are off-gassing, and we make our houses so airtight that there's not a lot of ventilation happening. So we want to make sure that we're getting proper ventilation and airflow in new homes for sure. Um, 
We don't really yeah. have time to go through all those, but uh, following extensive research, you created a method of chronic illness sufferers to rewire the brain, undo the malfunction, and start the road to recovery, and you label this treatment Dynamic Neural Retraining Systems, or DNSR for short. Can you please give us a brief overview of your DNSR treatment and why it works? I think that's... That's really the problem. Sure, absolutely, absolutely, Roy. So the Dynamic Neural Retraining System, or DNRS, I mean, first of all, where people can find more information is going to our website. It's called yeah. retrainingthebrain.com. Cool. But, you know, just, just to give you a little bit of an oversight, you know, in order to change limbic system function, first we have to become aware of the patterns that are running in the brain. Like what are the patterns, what are the thought patterns, the emotional patterns, and the behavior patterns that I have currently that are actually the expression of this maladapted chronic fight or flight response? And how is it affecting my sensory perception? And how is it affecting my coping behaviors? So we want to really first be able to label like, yes, what this is is limbic system impairment, and we're going to bring awareness of those patterns. And then we teach people practical stools. It's a step-by-step process that really structurally and chemically changes those uh, threat and survival networks in the brain so that they stop firing so rapidly. And we teach them how to strengthen alternative neural circuitry so that the prefrontal prefrontal cortex can come back online and be that executive decision maker that it is so that that feeling and reacting brain isn't at the the driver's seat of your life anymore. Um, And, yeah, so we we teach very practical tools uh, to people to rewire the brain. It's uh, a a commitment. It takes about an hour a day for a minimum of six months. But, my gosh, Roy, what I can tell you is the effort is well worth it when you get your life back. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, let's say a listener Mm -hmm. suffers from chronic illness and uh, wants to try the DNSR uh, method. Uh, How do they get started? Can they initiate treatment on their own, or do they need assistance from a trained facilitator? And if yes, how can you locate a qualified facilitator, either in your area or perhaps through the Internet? How do you go about doing that? Yeah, that's a really great question, Roy. There are two different ways that we offer the program. One is through an instructional, a 14-hour instructional DVD. It's been translated into eight languages now. Oh, yeah, and it's available on our website at retrainingthebrain.com. And it gives the information that you need, absolutely, to rewire the brain. And there's also, you know, we call that the silver standard. Absolutely, the gold standard is to come to a five-day intensive uh, brain, what we call neuroplasticity boot camp. Oh. So in... In that five days, we, we limit uh, numbers of people in that, in that program to 20 or 30 people. And, you know, in that uh, five days, you get access to the instructors of the program. And the inst- all of our instructors have actually recovered themselves from various forms of limbic system uh, trauma and, uh, and uh, illnesses and know the program inside out. I've hand-selected these people all over the world to be able to help people that are suffering. And how often so, are these training programs and where are they held? In various locations or all the same location or where, where do we 
various locations throughout North America and uh, Europe as well. So if people go to the website at retrainingthebrain.com, they'll see our upcoming programs. Oh, we have see. some upco- Our next upcoming program is in Calgary, Alberta. Then we oh. have uh, a program after that in Ojai, California. Then another one coming up in Austin, Texas. Cool. So, uh, you know... Yeah, we have about five or six locations that we keep going to. And, you know, even the locations, we have to be very specific in what we look for because we want to make sure that we create a really um, healthy environment for people to heal. I want to go to Calgary and see those blue Canadian Rockies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, come to Ghost River. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. Come to the Ghost River program. It is God's country there. Oh, it's so beautiful. And, uh, yeah, it's just past Rocky Mountains, that it's yeah. a, it's just a beautiful piece of Canada. We'd love well, to see. Let's talk it. about your acclaimed book, Wired for Healing: Remapping the Brain to Recover from Chronic and Mysterious Illnesses. Is your book written primarily for medical professionals, or can a lay person also benefit, perhaps in healing themselves or helping a close friend or a loved one? Who's it written for? Yeah, it's actually it's a that's a really great question because it's written for everyone. I I oh. kind of had that dilemma when I was writing the book. Who am I going to write this for? And I thought yeah. it's written for everyone, and I've written it in a simplistic format so that everyone will be able to understand what I'm saying. Yeah, that, that's you know, great. Um, yeah, and in terms of you know, it'll definitely give you the science behind the program, and it has some my own story of recovery, and it has stories of you know, other people that have recovered. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that even people out there that are, you know, have lost hope, that they yeah. will regain their hope from reading this because, you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily go into the exercises. It gives you more of an overview because the exercises themselves are experiential and it takes yeah. guidance and support to do those yeah. exercises. So b- back to the DVD for a second. So if people do buy the DVD and that's the route that they want to go, yeah. then we would o- always recommend that they book at least one coaching session with one of our certified coaches so that oh, they can make sure that they're implementing the program in the best possible way and that they can yeah. tailor it specifically to their needs in that time. That makes a lot of sense to me. So we should all go to your website to find out about that, retrainingthebrain.com. Is that the best place to go to buy your book also? Or yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is available it's on Amazon. I found it there, but... Uh, yeah, it's always better to buy it off our website, and you can also buy it on Amazon.com. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, in conclusion, hopefully, uh, I, personally, I've never gone through a period of prolonged chronic injury or suffering, and nor have I, my loved ones or family members, but 13 million people, as we said before, in the U.S. today are suffering, and witness Annie Harper's uh, personal story. The consequences can be devastating indeed. Unfortunately, this creative, uh, courageous lady fought back, and when all uh, hope seemed lost, she came up with her wonderful DNRS treatment method that uh, for herself and for so many others has worked. And uh, she has a whole bunch of like 12 case studies in her book that talk about uh, recovery from uh, that chronic illness. And if some you or someone uh, you know suffers from chronic illness today, I highly recommend you go to Annie's website and take a look at her book and her DVD and her program. And thank you so much, Annie Hopper, for making us aware of this limbic section of our brain and how its malfunction may be potentially wreaking havoc throughout our body. It's an amazing <laughs> story I was not aware of. Hmm. 
Phil, thank you so much, Roy, for having me. It's been my pleasure. And best of success in uh, getting your message out. And don't forget, give us that website once more. It's uh, retrainthebrain.com, right? Re- retrainingthebrain.com. Okay, that sounds good. I, I definitely recommend you go there if you're having any kind of a problem with uh, chronic illness or pain. And thank you so much, Annie Hopper, for joining us here today. Oh, thanks again, Roy. It was my pleasure to talk to you. Take care. The recent death of singer Glenn Campbell has focused worldwide attention on Alzheimer's. Has someone you love, or God forbid, you yourself, recently been diagnosed with this dreaded disease? Well, first, the bad news. More than 5 million Americans are currently living with this memory-robbing disease, with a projected 115.4 million worldwide sufferers by 2050, and one of three seniors die of dementia and related complications, and Alzheimer's is the third leading uh, leading cause of death in the U.S. Perhaps the saddest aspect of Alzheimer's, it's almost like your family member or loved one has passed away twice. Physical death is almost a relief because the person you loved and admired had already left you mentally months or even years prior. But how about some good news? Well, my next guest, Michael Morgan, is here to inform that uh, something is available now that can prevent and treat this life-altering disease. It's an extremely effective, non-invasive method of treatment called craniosacral therapy that takes as little as 10 minutes a day. And uh, Michael Morgan, LMT, CSTD, has been an instructor of cranial sacral therapy for over two decades and has taught this technique extensively in North America, Russia, Australia, and numerous other countries around the world. Most recently, he has pioneered and coordinated research in the application of this therapy to dementia and Alzheimer's disease and has developed classes both for therapists and laypersons. And over the past 10 years, he's been featured in interviews on radio, Internet, webinars, and other media. And he's author of the definitive 2014 book, The Body Body Energy Longevity Prescription, How Cranial Sacral Therapy Helps Prevent Alzheimer's and Dementia While Improving Your Quality of Life. And hello, Michael Morgan. We're extremely honored to have you with us here today. Hi. Uh, good morning. Nice to speak with you. Well, what, let's begin with a basic. What is Alzheimer's disease? What are its causes? And how does it progress? And can it be prevented? Yeah, let me let me give you some uh, maybe some aspects of hope. Now, a lot of this I didn't intend to research, but I blundered into it because yeah. my uh, stepmother and sister-in-law died of Alzheimer's, and that's oh. how a lot of us get involved. And we've been yeah. touched, like you said in your introduction, when you have a friend or relative it's like a death twice when their memory leaves and they're not there and then their physical body goes um it's it's devastating but let me walk you through the mechanism so you can understand why it works that way or at least what i've discovered when i started doing an initial study on this i started with the head and then started to look into the body but in proper order basically what happens you know the american alzheimer's association says there's no known cure for alzheimer's this is true But when you look at what causes it, it's not as much of a puzzle as one would think. Because what I discovered, uh, I developed some two-day classes to teach lay people about cranial sacral, very easy to do. And years ago, 
I met with a gentleman on the board of directors of the Southern California Alzheimer's Association mm-hmm. who lost a lot of his relatives to Alzheimer's. So he said, mm-hmm. you know, Mike, about 40% of people in an Alzheimer's unit have diabetes. And I go, really? Oh, he goes, bad. yeah. And I started to confirm that uh, with my students that would come to me. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Basically, some functional medicine doctors, doctors who believe that nutrition can actually help cure the body and supplements, as well as being, you know, standard doctors as well, um, they're starting to call Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. So what does that mean? What it means is that for decades before people uh, show up with the symptoms of Alzheimer's, all right, They can have inflammatory diseases that have been brewing for decades. They can have diabetes. They can have heart disease. They can have arthritis. They can have a closed head injury. They can have inflammation in the body, which over time can finally, when the body can't handle it anymore, overflows into the brain. So when you start to look at the prior causes, you'll see that, it's not like somebody shows up with Alzheimer's one day like they get the flu. Yeah. It's been brewing for quite a while. Yeah. And when you Glenn Campbell, yeah. I didn't realize this, but on an interview yesterday, somebody said, yeah, he'd had a problem with alcoholism. I believe this is true. Yeah. And, um, and other people and, and singers and entertainers that had that as well. Well, that's higher blood sugar. Hmm. And that's a problem that can actually create toxins in the body that overflow into the brain. So it's not always one thing, but that certainly doesn't help set the stage for something in later life. And the the typical reason why people show up with Alzheimer's in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s is because all this has been accumulating over time. So that's a little bit of the background, okay? That's a long answer to a short question. That's fascinating because I never... uh even associated Alzheimer's with diabetes or those other types of uh, excesses or uh, poisoning in the body. That <laughs> well, it's not rocket body. science, yeah, but no. it's just in my own discovery, I go, oh, my God, look at that. And then when you start to inquire what we did in an initial study uh, with people in the mid to late stage dementia years ago was I was permitted to look at their health records, and the dementia mm-hmm. expert that was working with me, oh, sure. It's like, she knew that. Well, I didn't know that people had had a lot of these other prior diseases. And it's like, well, maybe there's some connection between the two when you think about it. Because inflammation that people talk about now, it's the soup du jour of medicine to talk about inflammatory diseases. The food you eat that can be higher in sugars and carbohydrates, or if you've had a car accident or you know, even a blow to the spine or concussions, certainly. We've done a lot of work on that now as well. Yeah, you know, like NFL therapy. players. <laughs> yeah, and, and we found the reason why I got involved in working with NFL players is I thought, well, look, if we can show we can get a result with them, then people that maybe didn't have as much celebrity, yeah. 5 million people with Alzheimer's plus in the U.S., maybe yeah. that that would get attention for them as well. And that's what's starting to happen. So, yeah, it's all a mechanism. So that's the first part. And then what I discovered is this cranial psychotherapy that I've been teaching for about 20 years is that there's some new science that also supports and explains why cranial psychotherapy is most effective. And I can talk about that, too, if you're interested. Yeah, well, in layman's terms, tell us what this cranial uh, sacral therapy is and uh, how does it work to prevent, uh, the, uh, help prevent the onset of Alzheimer's and even to reverse the early and mid-stages of the disease and also increase our longevity, I guess. It, 
tell you. Yeah, all in one go. We might as well get the whole package right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just a layman, you know, obviously we're not medical professionals. You know how um, a doctor can be trained to listen to the pulse? Yeah. Yeah, They can listen to your heartbeat at the wrist or neck. Or they can be trained to listen to the rise and fall of the chest, the respiratory rhythm. Well, what Dr. Uplazer, my mentor uh, in the mid-1970s who developed cranial sacral therapy, found is that there's also another way to just listen to the body and listen to the rise and fall, so to speak, in the pumping action of cerebral spinal fluid. Hmm. I don't want to lose anybody there, but it's just that there's there's a fluid that flows in the brain and down the spinal column and back up again. It's called cerebral spinal fluid. And it actually has a very subtle way of expanding and contracting the head through the brain hmm. and the body. And you can train someone in about a day to listen to this very gentle flow of this rhythm. And you just put your hands on someone gently with hardly, it's almost like a baby touch. Just put your hands on the head or the body, and you can train someone to listen to this very, very gentle motion that's underneath the cardiac rhythm and the breathing. Now, the utility of that is that if you can start to listen to the rhythm, it allows the body to automatically start to realign itself and calm down. And there's simple techniques listening to the rhythm where you can almost like bring the rhythm to a little bit of a halt. It's called a still point. And it's almost like setting that red reset button on your furnace or rebooting your computer. When you do that, the body starts to settle down. Because when we studied Alzheimer's dementia patients, what we studied was was agitation. Because a big thing with people with Alzheimer's dementia is they get agitated. And what the study showed is that it lowered their agitation. They were calmer. And it makes common sense, you know, to know that if the body's calmer and quieter, the body's going to have a chance to recuperate and heal. And cranial sacral therapy uh, basically prevents that opportunity to do it. Oh, I see. That's fascinating. And how we got to Alzheimer's dementia is that we'd had decades of research saying that, okay, it's helped with autism in kids. It's yeah. helped with, with closed-head injuries. It's helped with concussions. It's helped with huh. digestive disorders. Yeah. It's helped a lot of people with headaches and migraines. And I thought, well, maybe it can help with Alzheimer's and dementia as well. Huh. That's and fascinating. there's some new research in science called the glymphatic system, and basically what it means is that scientists have been able to image in the last few years the brain in a more detailed way. And they found that the cerebral spinal fluid trickles not just on the surface of the brain, which is what we thought before in cranial sacral therapy, but deep into every nook and cranny of the brain, millions of channels and pathways. So the analogy that I use is like, here's what happens with Alzheimer's, is that there's flow of cerebral spinal fluid, but as we get older, sometimes there's less. In middle age, there's maybe half as much circulation of cerebral spinal fluid as in a normal adult. And what we found is that people with senile dementia, their flow of cerebral spinal fluid is 75% less than a normal adult. So imagine you have a river, and it's flowing freely. And then the water table starts to lower, and then the river starts to flow less freely, and the water table lowers. Imagine there's a drought, and then that water starts to actually gunk up, and there's mud and sludge and silt. That's analogous to what happens in the brain. The cerebral spinal fluid dries up. And when it does, all those toxins build up, like these amyloid plaques that you hear about with Alzheimer's. And that starts to interfere with the neurons 
and that's why you start to get memory loss and disorientation and all these other horrible symptoms. So and how do we get that water, that fluid flowing again? <laughs> yeah, and then why? the reason you die of this, by the way, and it takes several years, is what I call the long, slow walk to the grave, is that it starts to actually squeeze the brain so much that it actually affects the brain stem. And what really people die of with Alzheimer's is respiratory or cardiac distress mostly. It's like the brain really gets yeah. squozen, so to speak. Yeah. The brain dries up. So like you said, if you can pump up the volume, which is what cranial sacral therapy does, wow. and wash away those toxins and increase the flow, then you're going to start to, you know, stay the, the downward slide and actually bring it back the other way. And that's what oh, we're that's seeing as great. we're doing some simple techniques on people. Yeah, well, in the case of Glenn Campbell, just about everyone knew he had Alzheimer's back in 2011 when he was first diagnosed, mm -hmm. and he even performed a farewell tour in 2011 yep. and 12. Yep. With all yep. that publicity, why didn't anyone recommend he begin craniosacral therapy uh, back then when he was in the early stages? And more to the point, why is no one other than you uh, telling us about this life-enhancing treatment now? I just can't understand. Well, why. sometimes a new idea takes takes a little time to take hold, and yeah. um, we are getting more traction. I was just interviewed um, by uh, Jack Canfield, who wrote Chicken oh. Soup for the Soul, yes, and his um, mom and dad both died of Alzheimer's as well, and he says, you know, this is important. He said, it can't hurt anybody. It's non-invasive, no. and I wish I would have known about it with my mom and dad. Yeah. So we're getting the word out, um, and on my website, I, I talk a lot about this to educate people. We're doing more and more radio and, and starting to do TV interviews and just getting the word out and saying, look at the science. Yeah, look at what so can be great. done. No side effects. It's, it's wonderful to have a treatment unlike these. Uh, so many well, and honestly, I would say, look, when you say you're going to prevent something or even reverse it, that's a big claim. I understand that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is my... My kind of worldwide goal is to goal is to significantly prevent deaths from Alzheimer's worldwide in the next yeah. five years. And oh, that's great. The University of Chicago did a study, and they realized that it's not 84,000 people a year that die of Alzheimer's in the U.S. It's really a half a million. When you look at what they die of, yeah. which is yeah. respiratory and cardiac, which is, I bet, what happened with Ben Campbell. Yeah. So even if we could prevent 20% of those deaths, I'd be happy. That's what I mean by significant. I'm not saying we can get 100%, even 50%, but I'd be tickled that if we could make you know, a significant change 20% of the time, I'd be pretty happy. I think we could do better than that. But I will say with our early, you know, simple and advanced programs, we can start to show that. So. You know, you're let's doing talk, your part uh, by getting the word out, and people say, I'm just saying about the doctors, look at the science, that. look at what we've done. Yeah, let's talk briefly about your book and the other resources you offer. Uh, is your book written, uh, that's the Body Energy Longevity Prescription, is it written primarily for professionals, or can a layperson, perhaps a listener with a family member that suffers from Alzheimer's, also benefit from reading it? Um, yeah, both. It's both for professionals to read it, but also for a layperson because I try to keep it real simple. Yeah. So they can say, yeah, I can understand inflammation in the body. I can understand inflammation in the brain. And I'll tell you, when I talk to seniors in senior communities, they look at me. And seniors have, have heard a lot, so the, they yeah. they kind of know when someone's blowing smoke, and they go like, "Yeah, this makes common sense. This makes yeah. sense." So it's written for people just to connect the dots, so they can see. Yeah, yeah. there's just a little background if they, if they'd like to to understand how it's connected. 
So let's say that uh, I read your book, or I, you know, I, I want to learn more, at, uh, and maybe I want to initiate this therapy. How do I go about doing that? Do I need to find a professional to help, or, or how can I uh, get started? If, on if you go to my website, and I know you'll mention this, preventingalzheimer's.com, yeah. I have a lot of resources. People can sign up for a free report, 10 Things Your Doctors Won't Tell You About Alzheimer's Dementia. So you can get more informed. You can order the book. And then also, if you sign up uh, or email me, I will connect you with a certified uh, longevity specialist. Uh, Like we've trained a lot of people in Iowa, for example. A lot of people around the country. We're actually in 57 countries around the world. So we're setting up a network of people to refer uh, to a therapist. And if you want to learn in a one- or two-day class how to do the technique, um, you can also find on my website or email me about classes we'll teach uh, locally and actually even around the world where you can learn how to do it on yourself and your loved ones. Oh, that's great. You know, it, uh, it seems so use, uh, useful to have uh, someplace to turn and uh, all the... Uh, it's, it's so easy to, uh, you know, just feel like it's hopeless when you hear that diagnosis of a loved one and you think they're slipping away. And they're, but it's so great to learn that there is a possibility of uh, reversing or at least keeping, uh, blocking any further deterioration through the, something that's non-invasive and, and can be learned. And it's uh, like me, I'm certain you have been both enlightened and inspired today by Michael Morgan's message in uh, if a parent or loved one has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia, there is a very real possibility that further mental deterioration can be prevented, perhaps even reversed. And for you and me, decline is not inevitable as we age, and there's a relatively simple, cost-effective treatment to increase our longevity and improve our quality of life in our golden years. And in the past, family members hesitated to talk about it, but now it's, uh, you know, being publicized widely, a lot of it uh, due to Glenn Campbell's death and the NFL uh, concussion issue and other things. And uh, it's out there in the open. And thanks a million, Michael Morgan, for your pioneering work in reversing this disorder and in your ongoing effort to get the message out, because it's a message we all need. Well, thank you very much for having me. And best of success in spreading the word. And for a whole new, fresh perspective on aging and dementia, I suggest you go to Michael's website, preventingalzheimers.com, because uh, I sure learned a lot just from uh, exploring that website on the surface. And I'm sure someone uh, reading the uh, entire book would uh, certainly learn a lot more. And thanks a million, Michael Morgan. And that's our program for today. And don't for a minute forget that middle age can be your best age. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 